Hello, welcome back to our Canon podcast. Uh, today we or tonight we'll be discussing Homegoing by Ya Giesi. Uh, it was published in 2016, so as you can tell, this week we're going to be focusing on a more contemporary book um, versus last episode, set of episodes we were discussing The Bluest Eye, which is already a classic, already in the Black canon, and so now we are reviewing a book to see um, what we think about it and if we want to submit it into the new canon. idea of desire not specifically related to romance and romantic partners so in let me see in james's story right is this idea that he wants to leave the family business of slavery wants to leave the expectations of him as big man um wants to like he has this desire to live his own life but then he also develops this desire to um to be with this woman who's what's his wife's name my goodness Anyone, uh, james's wife's name that he waited for is akosia akosia wait yeah mm-hmm. okay. i'm probably saying that wrong but you would yeah. probably saying it better than me so uh like this love <laughs> he has from for her but then we see in abna's story and there's not a direct correlation here um but his choice to leave his family business family line family privilege kind of results in his family living in poverty and like living in a village that doesn't Mm -hmm. have uh the necessary resources and i don't know i was thinking through the ideas of what does it mean to want some you know what does it mean to have certain responsibilities or expectations on you for how you live your life what career path you take you know how much money you make whatever um and what does it mean to choose uh against that and and i was wondering if um g gac was i don't know putting in some kind of idea and belief behind this idea that like he chose you could look at it as like he chose to abandon his family and like poverty and desolation visited his family because of that. Um, but then even in his in hmm. his story, like there's this picture of like, but he was okay with that. Like he lived in poverty, mm-hmm. the land wasn't producing fruit, but like he, you know, you could say like he followed his heart and it was okay mm-hmm. for him because of that. Um, so I don't know, it, it just brought up this question of like what desire looks like in the face of familial responsibility, of cultural responsibility i mean he he actually had political responsibilities even um but yeah i don't know right. do y'all have any thoughts about like how and it doesn't have to be specific to uh that's james's story but like how desires for oneself one's life one's children plays out in the story yeah that's a great question i mean my initial reaction to that question is that yeah there's a lot of unrealized desire Mm-hmm. throughout the, the book whether that is for work like um Willie who wanted to be a singer and <laughs> that never really manifested and um obviously there's like <clears throat> uh romantic desires that don't get to to be lived out 
mostly because of yeah the 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 cultural slash familial expectations that come you know with being part of a a collective yeah there does seem to be a uh i don't know if it's like a confrontation between but no confrontation's a good word but there there are often confrontations between what individual people want mm-hmm. versus what a group feels like they want from that person or need because a lot of a lot of the I think a lot of the unrealized desires end up being subordinate to what other people think they need from that person whether or not they actually need it um and I think that's I mean that's interesting because I I don't know if you I feel a measure of that um as a black woman um you know like <laughs> how much weight does my desire have versus like my family's desire for me? What like what do they need from mm. me? Um, what is, and then I guess desire gets tied up in responsibility. What am I responsible for too? Mm-hmm. And what if what I'm quote unquote responsible for is different than what I want for myself? You know, like right. Um, right. especially as, as someone who's. Um, marginally educated you know like the, the, all of a sudden like i'm i'm responsible for a lot of things and i'm like whoa how did this happen um and are black people in particular because we're always sort of conscripted into this this larger sense of being a part of a collective what does it look like for black people in particular to have desires that go against uh, what family wants for them with the with the culture the culture capital C mm-hmm. culture like um, what the culture wants for them or expects of them and yeah there there's a uh, there's a confrontation happening a lot in this book between what people want for themselves and what people want or need from them mm-hmm. um, and I'm trying to think of the characters who actually get what they want like are there characters who get mm. what they desire Good in question. this book uh i mean james <laughs> as much as i can stand him he does yeah, he- james <laughs> got james got what he wanted he left and he disappeared yeah. and everyone assumed he was dead all, all of his original family yeah and he got right. to be with the woman he wanted true i'm like are there any other characters who who get what they wanted really uh does Marjorie get what she wants? That's a great question. Hmm. I mean, her grandmother dies. What did Marjorie want? Oh, good question. Great question. Okay. <laughs> so I, so I think about what Audra said about like just connecting with someone else, a man who's from Ghana, and mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. just given the history we get from Marjorie. Um, it feels trite to say, but like she wanted acceptance. Like she found, so you know, in grad <laughs> yeah. school, in grad school, she found yeah. this guy, right, who felt like home, who yeah. felt like mm-hmm. she she didn't have the fears connected to accept, or uh, she's not said to have had fears connected to like would this person accept me? Um, you know, there's no kind of there's little cultural dissonance between them. Like mm-hmm. they meet. And, you know, meet through a mutual friend even at a party. And yet, like, they're the friendship that lasts um, out of that interaction. So, and 
there's a way that I think, given her childhood, she gets to like go back, honor her grandmother, stay connected mm-hmm. to Ghana, and bring someone else into that. Yeah. Um, her great, 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 great cousin slash husband, future husband. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like hey, it. come on, Marcus Bay. I like it. I like you. I like Marcus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I bet. Mm-hmm. So y'all are 100 percent sure that Marcus was fine. I know for a fact. I see that man. Was, James, he had was James Marcus fine? had a beard. Okay. <laughs> no, no, James, you know what? James probably was fine, and that, that might be why Oprah didn't like him. I am I'm, I'm skeptical of handsome men. <laughs> <laughs> I'm skeptical of men who know they're handsome. Okay, yes, and that like, power. That's that uh, they suspect. Okay, they suspect. Yeah. I feel like Marcus Marcus was definitely fine, and I don't think Marcus thought he was ugly, but I don't think Marcus cared what he mm-hmm. looked like, and that makes right. me sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Magnificent. I'm weak. Okay. Oh, people are learning a lot about me, I feel like, through this episode. I love it. I love it. This, I love this it. is the you that I know. <laughs> this is a much more uh we're just who we are recording than the last Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, Marcus was um it. I feel like Marcus had a beard. Yeah. Um, Marcus has a good barber. Marcus got a skin routine, okay? He, does. he uses that a moisturizer. Man, yes, that man looks like he sleeps in a room pumped full of retinol yes. and oils and just love, okay? Yep. Um, yep. So he got a dermatologist. He absolutely uses retinol three times a week, yeah. religiously. Mm-hmm. Yep. You yeah, right. That man drinks water. Yes. <laughs> And eats vegetables. Hey, guys. Yes. Mm, my God, my God, my God. That, yeah, that man can dance. Okay. Love Marcus. Look, I love that for Marcus out there. Let me know. Hey. Just saying. You know. <laughs> um, well, I guess Marcus gets what he wants, too, because he is also looking for home. And right. presumably, he now has something to write his dissertation on, which is, you know, what he's looking for. Um, right. And and he, I think he wanted his dissertation to not just be an intellectual exercise, but to also be a personal one. And I think he gets right. that through his friendship slash budding romance with Marjorie, <laughs> yeah. and this, this travel back, you know, to to Ghana and, and to home. Um, but I, yeah. I, I guess there there are very few characters who get what they want. Um, or well, so the, another way to look at it though is like, what's how was what they wanted as a concept a limited thing, right? So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I feel so bad about all the stories I can't remember. Whose whose parents escaped from the plantation? That was Kojo. Kojo. His parents Ness right. and Sam. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. on one level, you could say like Kojo's parents wanted. Yeah. For them to escape, but also like for him to survive, right? Yeah. Right. So in a really plain plain way, you can say like they got what they wanted. Yeah. But like how sad is it that the the perhaps pinnacle of their hope could be maybe my son lives? Oof. Like that, like Lord Jesus. What's that play that you don't get to have a a, a brighter, bigger, uh more audacious hope than like 
Yeah. Maybe our bloodline continues and like my child doesn't have to die. <laughs> mm, so it, so like yeah. maybe maybe uh Kojo's parents got what they wanted. It's just also sad to think that what they wanted had to have such a low bar. Mm. Yeah. And that even maybe desire itself is radical. Like to have. Right. To dream. Yeah. To dream, to hope, to want something beyond what you can see and beyond something that actually makes sense. Right. Cause it, I, it, it was audacious for, for Ness and Sam to be like, there's something outside of, of this plantation and we can have it and we're going to try for it. And Ness yeah. and Sam don't get to see that. Um, and we don't even know how Nessa's story ends because her her story ends very like bleakly but openly because she's she's in a different plantation now with a new master who she has just pissed off and we we have no idea what happens after right. that but yeah. yeah I think you're making a great point about um, uh, yeah the way we even conceptualize desire particularly for for black folks when we're we're dreaming about liberation and freedom and resistance. What, Mm-hmm. <laughs> how much of how much of that has been yeah delimited by circumstance are we dreaming as much as we possibly could hmm so here's a personal story okay yeah, i love personal stories um uh the the my job is yes. fundraiser supported yep there are mm-hmm. kind and gracious people who donate money for me to be able to do the work that i do mm-hmm. with college students greatly appreciative of them shout out to the donors ow, ow. um also <laughs> i rem- so uh my first maybe three years on staff mm-hmm. i just remember constantly worrying that i was not going to be able to be on staff the next semester mm-hmm. right like just because of funding like right the funding falls through if the funding isn't enough if if the salary that i've agreed to doesn't support me to the degree that's necessary like there's just always this weight on me of like what if i'm not able to do this yeah. even you know six months later and so anyway i remember talking to a gentleman who kind of was asking me like five-year goals kind of questions and it clicked in my head i was like i have literally been unable to entertain the thought of where I might be in five years because yeah. I don't think I'll be here in six months. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm afraid that I won't be here in six Dang. months. <laughs> and I, it was, it was like a, you know, watershed moment for me in my like career, but I like that, but I'll like, hopefully never forget it. The, like what the sort of financial systemic realities of the system of my job like Mm -hmm. equated to in terms of like this man asking me a really reasonable question like oh you're in this you know you're in this position Mm -hmm. you work for this company what do you want to you know where do you want to see yourself in five years within this company and my brain was like dude (laughs) years like i hope Mm -hmm. i'm getting a paycheck in six weeks right (laughs) right um so yeah i mean that you know certainly not the weight of slavery (laughs) Uh, but just, yeah, this personal story of like yeah. how circumstances can limit one's ability to dream, hope, imagine. And I'm, I mean, I'm a fairly imaginative person, like just personally. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that like, <laughs> right. yeah, I, yeah, I just remember, yeah, I remember being it, like it being a laughable concept that I had any idea of what I would be doing five years from now um, or from then. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you ask... The other uh, thing that I... Oh, oh, sorry. 
No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No. I feel like you weren't finished. Oh, it's the seven and the nine. Let's. <laughs> hey, decide for us. <laughs> oh, this is. I've been waiting for this. Yikes. <laughs> um, I'm gonna lean into my eight wing. Um, so <laughs> the the other thing about desire is just like, uh maybe choosing desires. And I think this might have gone back to what Tia was saying about what we want for ourselves versus what other people want for ourselves. And I was thinking through um, Kajo and how he works on the boat and he loves boats. Um, And there's a quote from his chapter where it says, uh, Ma Aku always said it was bad juju for him, Joe, and all the other freed Negroes working on ships. She said there was something evil oh, about man. them building up the things that had brought them to America in the first place. Mm-hmm. The very things that had tried to drag them under. And that was really striking to me because yeah, in a world where slavery doesn't exist, where the middle passage doesn't exist, a boat is cool. Like, <laughs> it's fine. You know? <laughs> but, you know, let's get on boats, um, have yacht parties, <laughs> but <Hey. laughs> yacht. Um, but <laughs> yo, I got, I'm gonna tell y'all a story. Remind me later to tell y'all a story about that. Oh, <laughs> story time. Um, <laughs> But in this world, boats represent like oppression and death and like, you know, the death of our ancestors. And mm-hmm. well, I don't, I don't even know. Oh, Lord, our that's so complicated. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? And this is the thing about this book. Like, am I, could I be, who's the, whose family line ends up here? I mean, they both kind of end up here, but uh, am I Effia in this story? Like, in yeah. granted, do you hear, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. who's my Essie? You know, like, um, but that's a sidebar. Um, <laughs> that's a great bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think about how much he loved working on these boats and how Ma Aku, who ends up raising him you know has some critique of that but it's providing money you know he has purpose he's doing something that brings him joy maybe besides the fear of like white men searching the boat in case a black man looked at a white woman the wrong way Mm -hmm. but I think of my own dad who worked on uh, Ghana's cargo ship line the Black Star Line which is the title, the name of it is a reference to the Ghanaian flag because there's a black star in the middle. But Mm. um, my dad loved working on that boat. Like, Mm. but as I thought about it, getting older, I'm like, you you were okay with leaving Ghana, crossing the Atlantic Ocean to bring goods to North America. Mm -hmm. Like, that's okay with you? Like, I I don't... (laughs) it's not adding up don't (laughs) sit right with me right i'm like you ain't feel some type of way because like he would tell us stories about and now granted they're all in trees so i'm just piecing it together but the at one point the boat almost like flipped over because they were in a terrible storm Mm -hmm. 
and like had to call the Coast Guard to come rescue them. And um, but I just think were there moments where my dad in his ancestral line, if somebody if maybe trauma was lifted in him mm-hmm. in those moments, you know, um, but I just think of like my dad loving being on the ship and his brother also worked on a ship like if he felt some kind of way knowing the history Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just I think of all the things that even I've chosen to do that my parents didn't approve of like I also too was on staff and they're like sis we did not come here for you to ask people for money okay (laughs) and you know just what it what it means to do that and am I contributing to a system that I don't want to be a part of Mm -hmm. um and I think about my current job um capitalism is trash and (laughs) I'm getting my bills paid you know so (laughs) I don't know what to do with that that is a deep struggle of mine because I like my you know my thought life and my actions to be lined up but I'm also like I'm in a pandemic, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I can't play around with this money. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that that feels like in terms of desire, like, what do you want to do with your life? You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure nobody was asking these characters that question because for some of them it was chosen. But for those that did find a place that brought some joy, but still felt bound, mm-hmm. you know, desire feels super complicated in that space yeah uh that makes me so i think a lot about what uh, theological concepts are time bound or Mm -hmm. circumstance bound and there it's for me it's like well that's probably a sign that that's not a particularly particularly robust theology because like it only works for people who live in this specific uh situation um, so the question of like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And some of the ways that in, in my work, we talk about like vocation and mm-hmm. calling. I think a lot about like, well, what even was this, com- was this conversation even possible 50 years ago mm-hmm. for the people that you're talking to, let alone, you know, hundred years ago, 200 years ago, whatever. Um, and the, the privilege at play in some of those conversations, right? So I was in a, a Facebook Live Black History Month thing yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about like the black tax <laughs> and how really it kind of came out that probably Africans and African-Americans have some se- typically or can have some sense of like um, people connected to me, mostly by family, are probably expecting or relying on me to achieve a certain measure of success or to make a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. Um, So like my friend from Cameroon Mm -hmm. talking about like having to send money or not maybe having is the wrong word even, but like sending money back home to family in Africa who like send him here to be educated. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even like, I also know black Americans who similarly have that tax. Like they're, you know, if you're, the first one in your family to go to college and you know there's just a home situation that requires you to work while you're in college or maybe even send money home while you're in college like mm-hmm. so those those realities i feel like completely muddy the waters around a conversation around um calling 
which isn't to say that like they don't have a calling, but just to say at least the cost is higher or more nuanced because for them to do the, let's say follow their heart Mm -hmm. or follow the calling that they feel like is on their lives that deviates from the family expectation. Like that family expectation might be connected to real dollars Mm -hmm. and real needs. Um, And in my own work, I just, I always want uh, those of us like on staff to be more sensitive to that reality as we talk to undergraduate students about the choices mm-hmm. they're making for major or the, to- the choices that they're considering for uh, full-time employment after school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the desire means, uh, well, maybe desire means something different when there are more hands uh, pulling at you mm-hmm. um, that are like justified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think somehow, because <laughs> it's all tied to blackness. Yeah, but I think that this leads nicely into uh, a central question in the text, which is what does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be a part <laughs> of the diaspora? How do these characters make sense of that? There are some like very explicit conversations about blackness in later chapters um but there also is a sense in which not all of the characters identify as black so much as they identify as um mm-hmm. fonti is that how you say it fonti asante uh fanti, fanti. and ashanti beautiful um i think so is that how we <laughs> is that how we should pronounce your last name uh no and i might actually be wrong about the asante ashanti thing because if i look at a map Mm -hmm. the ashanti region is in the central part of ghana and i always was confused about how she chose to label some of these things Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's historical or imaginative so Mm. fellow Ghanaians, please don't cancel me (laughs) don't cancel me either lord jesus um (laughs) But there's some sense of like, before there was blackness as a concept, people were identifying based on, you know, the nation or the community that they are from. Mm-hmm. And, right, like, I mean, I think that's a question up in the air for black people all the time is what does it mean to be black? Um, especially as we're thinking about how desire, like, you know, identity might shape our desires or our connection to a community might shape what we feel free to desire or not desire. Um, and as, I think this just aligns nicely with questions I'm asking a lot. There are a lot of scholars I'm reading right now. And um, as someone who studies black cinema and black digital culture, whatever, what do we mean by black digital culture? What is that anyway? Um, these are the questions I'm circling through right now in my own work. Um, and certainly questions that many of scholars have asked long before I was even thinking about doing this work, but yeah, I think that's an enduring question in this text is what does it mean to be black? And right, the the, the title of the book is Homegoing. So there's a sense in which Oh yes. Uh yeah, what does home look like for black folks is uh a large question. So yeah, what is that? That's broad, but as you were are you, as you were leaving this book, as you were in it. How did it make you think about your own blackness in relationship to how characters are thinking about their blackness? 
Um, are there any lingering questions as you're, you know, walking away from this book that you will keep thinking about as it pertains to diasporic identity? Um, so yeah, we'll just place those on the table. It's also a large question, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Adra, would you like to go? <laughs> Uh, I, mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass. <laughs> Go pass read. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that <I> chuckle. <laughs> I feel like I set that up as if I was ready to take over. If you weren't ready to take over, sure did. <laughs> okay, Thurston, uh-huh. I. If you don't, if you're like still thinking, I have a a more specific question that I can. Yeah, come with it. Come with it. Um, okay, so as you and I are both Black American, that's what we identify. There's there's a character in the book, Marcus, who is also Black American, and for him, going home meant going back to Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know what your considerations of belonging and home look like in your inner world, mm-hmm. but is that, is it similar for you, right? When you are, if there was ever a time, well, one, do you feel a sense of homelessness or placelessness as a black American? Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, do you imagine home being um, like returning to Africa? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Great question. Um, so I, I, don't to my memory of the story marcus doesn't know that going back to ghana was going back home for him right yeah Um, right yeah so uh certainly reading the book there's this awareness of the reality that like um i there there are like historical sort of strings i can pull on to maybe guess about where my family's from just in terms of like um i think my family tree kind of goes back to the 1800s here in virginia so you can kind of say okay well africans from which country ended up in this part of virginia during you know such and such decade but i don't know the answer to that so there's a reality that like one day i could go to some country and uh that actually be me returning home and me not know that um uh to the qu- direct question of like do i experience a sense of homelessness i don't think so um i'm also not mm-hmm. extremely self-aware of my emotions um <laughs> but <laughs> i don't think i feel that I, so i i some years ago some number of a couple of years ago i feel like i put a lot of thought into like do I identify as african american do i identify as black like what do those terms mean to me and mm-hmm. I think this was around the time that I saw a lot of um, Black Americans proudly sort of claiming Africa, um, which mm-hmm. is beautiful. I think it felt a little odd to me because I didn't have any answers to the what the exact connection was. Mm-hmm. So, and then I think about like, well, if ethnicity is like a people who have a common story, there's a question of like, well, when does that start to qualify? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, if my parent, if my family has been here since the 1800s, right? Mm-hmm. That's longer than some white families who have, you know, came here after World War II or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like my family has been here for that long, and 
I have seemingly have no means of determining where we were from in the first place. Like stories, stories have multiple beginnings, mm-hmm. right? So like H, for example, in the story, like there's a way in which H's story, his family line story actually starts with him because mm-hmm. he doesn't know anything of anything prior to him. Yeah. But like as the right. reader, as the reader, we know what went into his story right? 200 years prior, but he doesn't know that his children will never know that. Um, so all that to say, like, so like, I generally just kind of call myself black. I don't use African-American. It feels like owning something that isn't, um, that I have no way of verifying is true. Right. Like I remember mm-hmm. I actually text Audra one time about, um, some, some language things. I was considering a tattoo and it's like, well, I don't want, it, it it would be really awesome to have a tattoo in like the language of the country I was from, but I mm-hmm. I don't know what that is, and then it feels weird to pick right. Um, and then the way that some immigrant communities kind of wave flags as um, decoration or fashion or colors, and it's like uh, I, I've just, I've thought about that a lot. <laughs> it's like, do I just pick a country? Do I just pick a country that I think has the coolest design? Do I pick a country that I feel the strongest affinity to? Do I pick the country whose music I like the most? Like, I'm definitely not just going to be rocking an American flag on my, like, windshield. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just... just, God forbid. Okay. (laughs) You know, imagine being at a party, right? I think about, like, reggae a lot, and it's like... Reggae from my time in high school and like Sean Paul and Signal the Plane. And it's like, imagine someone's waving a flag from Jamaica, someone's waving a flag from Trinidad. I'm in there with the red, white, and blue. Like, not going to happen. Oh, no. (laughs) Nobody wants that. Mm. So it's just, it's, so maybe that's the, it doesn't feel like a deep heart homelessness, Mm -hmm. but maybe that's where it comes from is like, man, I can't get a tattoo. I don't feel like I can, um, with integrity, get a tattoo of a different language because I don't know. And, you know, I feel like I can't, you know, rock a colorful flag from another country because I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not a super fashionable person and I have zero tattoos. So it's like, it's not super weighty in mm-hmm. that like everyday life regard. But this book brought up that for me of like, yeah, I like Marcus didn't know that he was returning home. Um, mm-hmm. and I love, I mean, it's, it, it seems a little fantastical, but the idea that like he is friends with someone that right. he is like technically related to, um, yes. it, it made me think of like, man, as a, as a black American, like who knows, who knows how many people, and it doesn't have to go back to the 1700s, right? Like it could just be somebody mm-hmm. who's, we share a great grandfather mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, I, mm-hmm. you know, and I might not know. Um, so anyway, those, those are the ideas around like identity and diaspora that come up for me. Like, I think black at some point, like black becomes it's like a black American becomes its own thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't feel the need to attach myself. I mean, like, cause again, honestly, right. Like Africa could be 300 years removed from my bloodline. Um, mm-hmm. so like at some point I can just say like, yeah, I mean, my people have been in America longer than a lot of white people who are here. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so why, why can't I claim this land as my own? Mm-hmm. 
I'm sure there's something problematic yeah, in anything I, you said, but I, you know, that's that's kind of right. Yeah, I I feel that one. I resonate with a lot of what you said, but I also feel that that fear of like I feel like my thought process is problematic because I <laughs> I don't feel that sense of homelessness or placelessness. Like I, I mean, America could fuck off, but and it has historically been uh, unkind is such an understatement. It's just has brutalized <laughs> us since we got the fuck over here. Yeah. It continues to do so, but America still feels like home to me. And yep. when I, um, as I was reading Marcus's story, he, there was this like, um, restlessness that he had and he didn't know right that he that that would be healed by going back to Ghana because he didn't know you know so many parts of his story and family history but there is a sense in which that restlessness ceases for him once he gets there mm-hmm. um, I think that's really interesting because I don't imagine when I imagine a home going it's and I don't necessarily imagine it as me, you know, returning to, to various African countries and, and working through my family history that way. And I don't know what that means, right? Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that bad? Is that okay? <laughs> like, um, because I, yeah, I don't feel homeless. I feel like this is my home. Shitty as it is. It's, right, right. And I understand, I understand how I got here. I understand my family got here. Um, but... I um... can ask, have you heard stories of black Americans who like, you know, for whatever reason went to Ghana and, and they maybe like without expecting it felt like they were like, felt like they were home, even though they never really felt like they were homeless. That's a great question. Yeah. That's a beautiful question. I've heard stories like that. So it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe if we took a trip to Ghana next summer. Yeah. something that we didn't know was that directed at either one of us or just yeah yeah i either have either of you heard like heard those kinds of stories yes i have yeah yeah um so i have it's weird because i have tons of stories that would connect to this like people who like they got off the plane and just even touched the tarmac and were Mm. weeping like And that's and I just really believe that our bodies hold things kind of like the mm-hmm. example about Beulah that we just don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, so one example that's the most recent um, <laughs> one of my side hustles. <laughs> I <laughs> help with a friend's uh, TV show that she's filming, and one of the guests that we had on last night, um, she's. Uh, like a yoga instructor, community psychologist, and went to Ghana, and she has a scar on her face. Um, I think it's on like the left side um, that she got when she was younger. Mm-hmm. I think just like playing and got hurt. But it kind of looks like some of the tribal body modifications that people in Ghana would do mm. um, on their faces. And so when she was in Ghana, they're speaking to her in tree as if she's like a local, right. like, welcome back, sis, you know, like, <laughs> and um, I still haven't followed up with her about it. And I feel fine sharing this because it's a TV show that will go public. But <laughs> um, 
I just like that was so moving to me because I'm like, that's what I want. Like, that's what I want to see happen is people be welcomed back or even if it's not coming back or even like that's not even their country of choice or connection that there would be extreme hospitality yeah. to any and all black people who enter the continent, no matter what part of the country that they're coming from, but particularly from the U S because my own relationship to, I mean, colonization and being an immigrant, there are ways that I had distanced myself from the black American experience growing up because of the own my own stuff that I had been taught or picked up from relatives. Mm -hmm. And I've that's a place of confession for me. Like mm -hmm. um and I think it's in is it is it Sonny's chapter or Marjorie? Oh, it's Marjorie's teacher, Miss mm -hmm. Pinkston or something mm -hmm. that's like it doesn't matter here. Like mm -hmm. you're still black. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is something that's deeply a part of my story. And so like one of the things, I don't know how many I've told, how many people I've told about this, but one of the things I want to do with my life, if money is not a barrier is to lead trips like this to Ghana, like oh, yeah. be like, Hey, let's connect y'all. Like, let, <laughs> Let's have you touch the ground. Like, Let's have, because I think there's something that needs to be healed. Like there's a mm. deep wound and this is not me doing it out of a place of like, I feel so bad. Da, da, da. It's like, I think your body is trying to tell you something and I just want to make the connection easier. Yeah. Like I just want people to eat the food. I want people to touch the ground. I want people to see people that look like them and are from the village that their people come from, but would never know it. Like right. I met a woman in September when I was on a retreat by myself who was just walking around, excuse me, walking around the retreat grounds. And she asked me what my name was. And I told her and she was like, you know what? I went to Ghana in 2019 and I, with my dad and I met a man who looks just like my father. Mm. Mm. Never been there. Never communicated with this person. Got connected to a cousin. He lives in California because of uh, 23andMe, which I, I don't think I'll ever do because I want somebody to <laughs> have my DNA. But like, <laughs> it's stuff like that that like, I'm like, that's necessary in, in my opinion mm. for people to be connected to land and to right the wrong of theft which is what mm -hmm. white supremacy has done mm -hmm. like i'm like no we're gonna get you your stuff back mm -hmm. i yeah but mm. i have oh excuse me i have more to say about the diaspora and black identity but i wanted to answer thurston's question around yeah like, do we hear those stories? Does that actually happen? And there's so many people who that's true for. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So this is a throwback to Tia's reference to magical realism. Mm. And and this like my brain, which constantly operates on the wavelength of fantasy literature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so I've, I've been thinking recently about metaphysical realities yeah. and um, I can 
say with accuracy all these things about like yeah I identify as black like my family has been in Africa for a while blah 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 but like there's a there's a like the land we come from reality mm-hmm. that like it I don't know it, it like yeah but what if uh, to Audra's point like what if something in me heals Mm. or open to healing that's just for me like breathing the air and setting foot on and you know Mm -hmm. on that land that i mean like we don't know right like how many black americans will never know where where from uh where they're from uh never Mm -hmm. even make the trip back to the continent of africa like i haven't i haven't been to africa myself Mm -hmm. um but, but yeah, I've been thinking about metaphysical realities so often lately, and it's like I don't know, man. Maybe something, maybe it's subconscious, maybe it's hidden, maybe it's always been there, but just like mm-hmm. on the periphery of my consciousness, like maybe there's there's a longing and a healing that's um, waiting to be realized, and like the connection of me reconnecting with my quote unquote home. And then honestly, if that's true, mm-hmm. that's true of like all of us, right? So then like to a throwback comment yeah. itself of like white people who like whiteness in America is divested from its European ancestry, <laughs> like maybe a lot that's broken right. in white people would also be healed if they like reconnected um, or reabsorbed mm-hmm. their their mm-hmm. own heritage. Like, you know, so all of us, Asian people, like the people of Latino or Hispanic origin, like what if that's just true of all of us? Like that there's something. So it's like, obviously we can like live fulfilled lives without it because so many of us don't get it. Mm-hmm. But what if there's like some great bonus, some great beauty, some great sweetness mm-hmm. in us being able to like, just do the like really tangible physical thing of like being there. Yeah. Um, who knows, mm-hmm. right? I mean, again, that's so that like that's my fantasy thought of my ra- like magical realism in our world. Um, mm-hmm. that this book reveals is like, I don't know, maybe going home to Africa would do a lot to all of us. Mm-hmm. I think so. Like, if trauma can be intergenerational, why can't healing be mm-hmm. intergenerational? You know, like. If we're if I can pass on and I don't plan on having kids, so, but if what has been passed to me is trauma, also the good things about my family have been passed to me as well. Amen. Like I just I don't and and that has to do with my own like understanding and realizing that like blackness does not start with trauma and doesn't have to end with trauma. Right. Um, That like there is blackness that exists that is holy and in and of itself what it is supposed to be maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I feel unsure now, but (laughs) like uh, most of how we a good portion of how we experience like who we are has been because something has been inflicted upon it or how we define it might be over and against something else. But I think there's this world that exists that is unaffected, not maybe unaffected, but uh, reclaimed from that. Um, And I, I just, Hmm. 
yeah, I just believe that more can be passed on besides things that are horrible. Absolutely. Um, so. Hard agree. <laughs> I think, um, I think the question of what is blackness for me is still up in the air. Um, yeah. And I, so much of my identification with it has been the shared suffering and the collective trauma. Um, I think my imagination for what blackness can be outside of that is very small. And I'm working through that just like in my work, but also like in my personal life. Um, Cause Audrey, you said like, uh, this is not you know specific to what you said, but you said that blackness is, is, is more than the trauma we've experienced. And my follow up question mm -hmm. then is what is blackness? Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, especially as a category because yeah. the way we understand blackness is a historical category like it didn't always exist and not to say that black people right. did obviously we were always here but like blackness it's the, the way we talk about it mm -hmm. is a relatively recent mm -hmm. thing very much tied to the you know creation of capital and right like that blackness needed to exist so that the whiteness could be a thing um and so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working through when I say I am proud to be black because I am. And when I say I identify as black, I'm trying to figure out what that means beyond, yes, this, this history of, of trauma and suffering and homelessness and placelessness. Um, and I'm engaging with a lot of like Afrofuturist scholars right now, which is fun. Mm -hmm. And then also Afro pessimism, which is a whole other thing. And why they're asking really interesting questions, actually. Um, scary questions. Very big scary questions, and it, <laughs> it unsettles me because I I had such an easy definition of blackness before, but the more I'm thinking about it, and the more I read, I'm like. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe there's, maybe my imagination is 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 too small. Um, and can we ever really get away from blackness being tied to to capital? Uh, so there are like theories about what's called the fungibility of blackness. So the, the blackness is something that just can be exchanged over and over and over again. Because oh. that's what it is, right? Like that is what blackness's function is. It's something that can be uh, exchanged. Like as a culture, you can exchange it and make money. You can exchange literal black people. <laughs> like it's... Right. Um, oh, Lord. See? <laughs> like... Um, no, I'm correct. But, but I do think that there's something... I do think there's something beyond that, or there can be. I, I think you know, um, there's a scholar, Fred Milton, who I I want to say I read, but I I don't really because he I don't understand what he's saying because he's too smart for me. <laughs> he's way too smart. Um, he's very lyrical and poetic, and his prose is not straightforward. And I think that's he enjoys that. Um, I don't always because I I wish it makes me feel dumb, but. <laughs> He talks about blackness being always a disruptive force, that that is what it is. It is something that disrupts. And and that's interesting to me. That's a compelling thought because that's what it, it does feel like. Hmm. That, that um, in good ways too, not just in bad ways, that blackness can disrupt. But he also, this will really 
fuck y'all up. He also talks about blackness being more transcendent than the people it is used to describe. That blackness is not just about black people. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still working through that. That feels like the direction of like some white person who grew up in the hood saying that they can say nigga. I, I like well, that, I know, I know that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. I don't like that. Well, <laughs> that. I think it's not that, but I think it could be weaponized. Is that I think what he's getting at is, I think, actually really interesting and compelling. But it is rather radical, and it's. Sure. But I don't think it necessarily means like that transracial is like transracial has got to be a thing. And now white people can be like, I'm black. Well, no, you're not. Um, First of all, get out. It's like, we're not, <laughs> we're not doing this with you. We're not doing this with you. But yeah, I, I am. Hmm. I'm working through what this means for me. Um, this book raises lots of questions. Uh, but also, yeah, some of the work I'm doing outside of this as I was reading this book is raising questions about like, yeah, okay, well, what is blackness then? If we say it's beyond our shared trauma, then what is it? So this is a messy thought. Um, I love messy thoughts. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think I'm, so like I'd asked the question earlier, like kind of like when do when do a people when does a people group have its origin set Mm -hmm. um and like you know it if you're if you are hearkening back like is it okay to just say like we 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 as a people began 400 years ago instead of 600 years ago right Mm -hmm. or like i i love to think about so in the old testament of the christian bible uh tara is (laughs) abraham abram's father and we never talk about Tara. Like it's Ab- the God oh. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. And um Yeah, where who who that exactly. <laughs> and so I always wonder, like, did Isaac know Tara? Did Isaac tell his children about Tara when the when the first couple of generations mm-hmm. of like the Jewish people in scripture, like when they talk about their family, did they always start with Abraham, Abram? Or did they start with Tara? Um, and that like that feels relevant to the like black African sort of divide, if you want, you know, want to look at it like that. Like we who are familiar mm. with like the the Bible <laughs> would say, like, yeah, Abram was the beginning of this this people, this nation, uh, mm-hmm. the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Um, but like he had a dad too. And his dad didn't follow right. the one the one Drew God. Like his his mm-hmm. dad was just some dude named Tara who like I don't know we don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, so I there I don't know that just, that feels relevant to me to think about like who who gets to say when a people group begins mm-hmm. what their origin is and is it so wrong. Or is there is there real harm in saying that like the foundation might have been a less than ideal inciting incident? Mm-hmm. Like lots of nations have this, you know, a beautiful or mythological origin story, right? America mm-hmm. has a beautiful and mythological origin story. Um, is it perhaps more realistic to humanity and human history to say, like, I'm sure there are lots of people groups 
whose genesis is rooted in like something terrible that happened mm-hmm. that ripped them from land A and displaced them into land B. And in land B, they thrived and survived and built and created and persevered and became who they are, mm. um, even as they were connected, disconnected from land A. So it's messy because I feel like, I don't know, I mean, might people might be mad for me to say, like, I don't know, maybe like Black identity was, you know, had its root in a horrible thing, like the transatlantic slave, <laughs> slavery, slave mm-hmm. trade. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we, what we built from that origin is influenced, mm-hmm. continues to influence the world, mm-hmm. uh, continues to be mm-hmm. copied and adopted and poached. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and yeah, I mean, it's not glorious, you know, like the building of Rome, like it's not some mythological story to say that some great thing happened that started us, but like maybe the great thing was us. All I can do is hum in response because I'm like, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, I all I, again tosses all these questions up, and I particularly like your question, like, okay, well, is it so bad that blackness as we understand it today? did begin mm. there but it has obviously become so much more than that yeah um and all of the the things that it has produced right are beautiful and, and joyful and hopeful and um i love that question a lot so yeah i don't have an answer but i, I like that question <laughs> <laughs> to be clear i don't believe that like so i i know that like online some typically a younger person who thinks they're deep will say mm-hmm. something <laughs> the effect of like you know all blacknesses is suffering and trauma mm, right and i don't believe that right like again i think the story right. of us whether if you want to start that story at 1619 like the story of us mm-hmm. is beautiful and strong and bold and courageous and all you know all these things that are positive mm. but again like but maybe the story starts because we were stolen and i just mm-hmm. i don't know it feels messy to say but i'm like i don't know it's yeah, stories start how they start. <laughs> like some things, some beautiful things come from accidents or or from hard circumstances or less than ideal situations, and it sucks that we were stolen. <laughs> yeah, but what we've created is beautiful, and I don't think the story of blackness is trauma and pain. Mm. Mm-hmm. Great book. Great book. <laughs> <laughs> even better thoughts um i think for me i don't even know what the question (laughs) was but to continue the thread of like it sounds like a thread of like our memory as a people and where we begin um the thing that i'm at, at this current stage in my life i feel most curious about is like i know that my mom is Fanti. Like, I want to know hmm. what were the Fanti people like mm-hmm. prior to even these stories, like, mm-hmm. that yeah. Yah is referencing. Um, and yeah, just what what did Ghana look like, or also known as the Gold Coast during that time? Like, what was life like for the typical 
And they wouldn't even have called themselves Ghanaian. They would have said, I'm Fanti and I live in this part of the country. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, yeah, my mind just constantly goes uh, pre-colonization because I'm I'm just curious, like, what does what what would life have looked like? Yeah. Without us being colonized. But Mm. that's, you know. That's the the trillion dollar question for so many people. (laughs) Right. Golly. Like how y'all managed to mess up that much? (laughs) I often tell me. Very often things happen that make me think, like, man, how many languages, Mm -hmm. cultures, people groups we just will never know about because of the decimation that like colonialism and and yeah well yeah colonialism racism has like wrought on the globe right like i I think about that particularly in regards to the caribbean like there's some Mm -hmm. island that they were just like i don't know a couple thousand people living chilling doing their thing for generations and generations and then (laughs) europeans showed up and we don't even know their name god I don't know. Somebody yeah, take us to so positive. Somebody, somebody steer us up. Okay. Well, I was gonna say. <laughs> oh lord. I well, I I think what is circulating at least in the last thirty minutes or however long we've been talking about black news <laughs> is the sense of hope and imagination that black people have for ourselves and right that there's that blackness, whatever it is, black culture, whatever it is. And it's not just, it's very multiplicitous and um, varied. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's full of, of beauty. And I think this book ends very beautifully and very hopefully, and I did not yeah. expect for it to be hopeful. <laughs> um, so one of, I think the questions listed here, I'm not sure which one of you came up with it, but I think it's great is, like what did this book do to or for you? And I will just frame that in a like in a hopeful way. What did this do to or for you? And what has this inspired in you? What has how has this stoked your imagination for blackness for yourself? Um, or what will you keep thinking about as you walk away from this book and perhaps come back to it? I'll go first. Um, yeah, I think for me. Uh, reading it the second time around, I think the first time I was kind of like shy about like, oh, I feel really proud to be Ghanaian. Mm-hmm. I feel really, really proud of my people and who we are, even though I don't know all the ins and outs of it, particularly like in the fact that I didn't grow up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this time around, I'm like, oh, I am unapologetically Ghanaian and I love it. Really? I don't even speak the language. All I can say is et to say, et but like, which means hello, how are you? I'm good. Um, but I think even in the four years that has passed between my first reading and my second reading of it, I just have grown in deep, deep love for who I am and who uh, my family is and you know that also involves a lot of healing and whatnot but I think as time passes it feels like one of those things that if I was to create like 
if you're going to know who I am, this is what you need to know. Like this book is a part of that. And I think I mentioned that in our earlier episodes, but it is, it so deeply made sense of who I was that I, like, I really identify with Marjorie Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, her experience and um, just being the child of Ghanaian immigrants and, being a part of the American schooling system and all of that. um, It really has like brought up deep self-love, whether it used to be like deep self-loathing about Mm -hmm. who we were. Um, Cause there's just so much shame. Like um, I just was so confused all the time about how to engage with this and, oh, how do I not be too prideful about where I come from, but also blend in and Mm. just these constant questions about where do I fit in? Um, And I I really do view um, this book's like influence on my life as a way for me to to claim fully that I'm Ghanaian. I know I can, I can locate where my people are from and also that I deeply love being black. Like I, I won't be nothing else. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just love us. And I find myself saying that a lot all the time, but I really do. I love us. I love even the messy parts of the story. Um, I love them. Mm -hmm. I don't know them, but I love them. Um, I just have deep affection for our people um in ways that just continues to grow Mm. so yeah but on a more like scholarly or you know academic level it really it makes me want to just learn all that I can about Ghana and I've done a couple things here and there like have read Ghanaian theologians or even in college I think was kind of the beginning of this journey of researching, like writing about Kwame Nkrumah, the first president of Ghana and Pan-Africanism and mm-hmm. thinking through the missionary movement and how that was really damaging. Um, and so there's always a part of me that's like, should I go back to school for this? I don't know. Hey. Um, should I go to, like one of the things that I'm thinking about right now is like, maybe I'll just spend extended time in Ghana mm-hmm. and kind of research this by experiencing it i don't know Mm. but i have this really deep desire to be there um so yeah come on thurston what's the question (laughs) (laughs) i was just listening to audra and i'm like amen sister (laughs) What did this book do for you? Um, oh, right, 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 uh-huh. right. <laughs> How has it stoked your imagination, et cetera? Look, I was I was actively listening. Um, <laughs> what did it do? I what's wild is that's my question, and I don't have to. <laughs> right. <laughs> do you want I to go first? This, I have done this to myself. Oh yeah, if you got something to say, please feel okay. free. Um. <laughs> I really resonated with Marcus's story. Um, Marcus, as a as a as a black PhD student trying to figure <laughs> out what I'm researching, and I I deeply resonate with his 
his restlessness, his desire to do work that is meaningful to him specifically, um, not just work that is publishable, not not work that will in, you know impress his professors, but just work that matters to him and that feels mm-hmm. good. That he, I, I appreciate um, that he's not interested in, in disconnecting who he is as a person from the work that he's doing. That those things um, are intimately connected, and I, I feel often conflicted about the work. Not, not. I don't feel conflicted about the work that I want to do, but um, yeah, I just, I just want it, to. It's really easy to get wrapped up in academia and to, I don't know, end up studying and writing about things that you think other people want you to write about. Yeah. Um, especially as like one of the only black students in my program. Um, I won't name what program I'm in. I'll just say that that is a, a normal. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's like not um, abnormal for. You know, yeah, probably you know. very common exactly in higher education, precisely. <laughs> um, all that to say is, I, I wrestle with these things, and on, on a meta level, I love the work that GAC is doing, and I, I feel like she's, I mean, she's also an academic, you know, and a writer, and so much of her work is, is deeply personal. And I, I've read a few interviews, um, from her about this book and, and how much of it was comes out of her own questions about who she is and her connection to both Ghana, but also Alabama, which is such an interesting place to be. Um, and I, I love reading black writers because it makes me more courageous. Um, and I find that I am more fearful than I thought I was, especially as a PhD student. Like I feel very timid and insecure about the work that I'm doing or I'm just not doing any work because I'm timid and insecure and I don't trust that my voice matters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 all the imposter syndrome shit. Um, it's just pervasive. Everybody feels it, whatever. It just, oh. um, but yeah, I read stuff like this and I'm like, no, my work matters and I can write about what I want to write about and it can yeah. be deeply mm-hmm. intimate and personal to me. And I'm going to do that. And I, I walked away from this book being like, I am inspired. <laughs> <laughs> yes you are I'm inspired to I don't know Dr. hey not yet give me like four years bro I'm, <laughs> I gotta make it through this coursework it's kicking my ass right now but <laughs> but soon or not soon I don't know four years it's four years soon I don't know um yeah okay yeah oh, you're right you're right you're right you got it you got it yeah, that's what people say um I'm gonna trust <laughs> I'm gonna trust y'all <laughs> I'm gonna trust y'all all I have to say is this book makes me feel very like like you said, Audrey, like it makes me so delighted to be black. Um, again, I don't even know what the fuck that means, but I also kind of know. <laughs> I also know exactly what I mean when I say it, even if I can't yeah. articulate what I mean. I I know you know, and I I feel that deeply after reading this, and yeah. um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I feel courageous after reading this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hit us with it. Bring us home. Amen. I got nothing deep. Um, I, I think <laughs> it's okay. This this book, I do feel like it gave me a lot to think about, but I don't like know if I don't know if I've actually done anything with those thoughts, or if I have any concrete steps that'll like affect the trajectory of my life. So, mm-hmm. um, one of the realities that stuck out to me a lot in the narrative is the disconnection between all the generations Mm -hmm. and 
um, there are some ways that that feels similar to my family, but for different reasons. But like, I, I think I, I think I know the common name of one of my great grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and like, that's it. And then like, I know my grandparents and all my aunts and uncles and cousins, but so I'm, I'm wondering if there's a way to begin for the, if, if I have kids, who knows, whatever, not mm. a high goal of mine. Um, <laughs> but like, what, what is, what would it mean? So I had mentioned earlier, like, what does it mean to not be connected to the, the stories, the materials, the land, the wealth of like your bloodline? Mm-hmm. And just to say, like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could start at some point. Like, I could have kids and tell them stories about my parents and grandparents, um, mm. and begin this multi-generational connection that at the very least is passed on through story you know Mm -hmm. and and best case scenario is passed on through like actual interaction right like i have a niece and nephew who spent a lot of time with my parents right Mm -hmm. so like they'll be able to talk i mean yeah i mean to this day right so like they'll be able to tell their kids if they ever have any about their grandparents from like personal interaction mm-hmm. personal knowledge not just stories that they happen to hear um in a way that i just feel like i haven't i, I wasn't growing up spending a lot of time with my grandparents um mm. and again certainly no time at all with my great-grandparents so like th- those are the kinds of thoughts that's mm-hmm. arisen as i like read this book is like kind of what's my um what opportunities are available to me to disrupt or influence the narrative of like kind of like family and bloodline. Um, mm-hmm. So like my paternal grandmother uh, died when I was in college before I met my wife, Alicia. And so I, in my, I don't, I don't think she's ever been to my dad's family home. Um. Mm-hmm. And whenever we're in that area, so like my parents grew up like 15 minutes away from each other. So like going to see my mom's family is actually really close to where my dad grew up. And I often think like, I feel like whenever we're up there, I'm like, should I take her to see like my grandma's house? Like where, like where I played as a kid and you know, where me and my cousins hung mm-hmm. out. And so I haven't done it, but like reading this book, it it brings up like, maybe I should. And I don't know why I should. But just in the conversation of like land, so my dad's like owns the house and like that that's his land now. Um, that both of his parents are gone. And I don't know, yeah, like reading this book, I've thought about it multiple times. Like, I don't know, should I take my wife to see my paternal grandparents like land and home? I don't know why, but it's in my head as something that like maybe should happen. I don't know what that would do, but it's like an option that's on the table that this book has brought up for me. Any we need closing thoughts? Or... <laughs> I, have ex- yeah. I have exhausted all of my thoughts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a quote that yes. I wanted to bring up. This is... Mm, I have no idea who said it. Hold on. <laughs> I have no- I had the page Good. number. I had the page number typed, but I didn't like write who said it. <laughs> it's in. Oh lord, Adra, you pronounce uh, the Y A W. How did you pronounce that? Yao. Yao. 
So it's in Yao's chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And there's this, he, uh, he's a, uh, I guess a history professor. Um, and so he asks mm-hmm. or says to his students, so when you study history, you must always ask yourself, whose story am I missing? Mm-hmm. Whose voice was suppressed yes. so that this voice could come forth? Once you have figured that out, you must find that story too. From there, you begin to get a clearer yet still imperfect picture. Um, and that, I mean, I, th- I think it was a brilliant sort of lesson to come from a historian to his students who are going to be studying history as well. Mm-hmm. But I also think like, that's probably relevant to every human <laughs> in, yeah. in like a lot of different scenarios, like whose story is missing, what went into the the reality that gives us, you know, this percentage of the story, but not that percentage, right? Like this perspective A, but not perspective B. Um, and like, yeah, what are we missing that can give us a fuller picture? And so what I like about this story is even you know, to our earlier conversation around like missionaries and Christianity's sort of portrayal here is like, this is in a way the other side of the story of missionaries like think about what the prayer letters of some of those missionaries might have looked like uh to their families or the people who are supporting them versus like what the experience was actually like um like for the people in ghana who were interacting with them um and it's just you know it's not a matter of truth or lie even it's just a matter of like there are multiple sides to the story that's keeping like the ignorance of that is keeping all of us from having a fuller picture of what's really been mm-hmm. um i don't know what's 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 happened what's really happened um and that mm-hmm. i mean that plays out through this whole book in like family scenarios nation nation uh generation and generation like it plays out in so many ways like who knows what we're missing as we think about our story and our narratives mm-hmm. that's good um to close with a, a zimbabwean proverb let's go until the lion tells his side of the story the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter come on well mm. so uh in recording we could stop no 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 keep going going. oh oh, okay sorry (laughs) i mean i mean that's also part of why we do the podcast right Right. that the canon of literature has been more of the hunter Mm. um less of the lion so you know Mm. just saying um but i really do think it that part of the story was like super important because that's what the author is helping to illustrate as you said um one final thing and then we can close um this might be super you know sentimental or whatever but i'm gonna do it anyway and if it's weird we can cut it but <laughs> i just <laughs> no we can't cut it now and we gotta move all of this in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean I just wanted to call y'all by your Ghanaian names if you had been given them. Girl, you about to make me um, cry. What the hell? <laughs> to close out the podcast. How but... do you know this? What? Okay. 
Okay, so like, I, I know mine, your... but how do you know? How do you know? Because you texted me about. It. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. So you're Thurston, you're Kofi, hey. which I think is born on Friday. Friday, yes. baby, party day. <laughs> hey, the day and of celebration. Tia... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Tia, um, I looked up your birthday, and we're born in the same year, so it's not that weird. But Yaba <laughs> would be your name. Oh so. my god, I love it. Amen. Yeah. Oh. So this episode or these collection of episodes come to you from Ajua, Kofi, and Yaba. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, she surprised us. We didn't know she was going to do this. Did not know that was coming. Wow. Definitely need to cut the recording now. Not the welcome Welcome home. home. Oh, no. If I had a black stone pendant, I'd give it to you, but I don't. So... (laughs) All I can give you is your name. Oh, fuck. Oh, Oh, my God. (laughs) And that's all, folks. (laughs) First of all, this book is delightful. We need to read something lighter next time. (laughs) I know. I think the bluest eye. I'll just pick this one. Thurston is your turn. (laughs) Don't you worry. (laughs) Oh, Ajua, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Love y'all. I love Love you. you. (laughs) We love y'all too, listeners. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you've heard, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave a glowing review. You can reach us at ourcanonpod at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at ourcanonpod. Music was done by Kamaria Fife. And our producer was the illustrious Ajwa Asante. Thank you.